amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Mike on Howie, Chris on Soups, Mace on Hal, and Matt on Group. Wake up Wednesday and we feeling it like nothing can intrude as we read in the tome of big stacks, singles bagged and boarded, fitted in a box in the lab recording. Thoughts as they come, whatever they be. Comics is a world that we become. Sit back, listen to the man he sold. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, the Wednesday show is for all of y'all who leaf through books in solitude. Open up worlds that you dream of. The following show is from us to you. Peace. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Wednesday Comic Book Show. It's me, your host, Mauza. Mauza. What's going on, everybody? As you listen to this, I am in... I've just left Abu Dhabi, and I am currently in India. Unlike my Tampa Christmas vacation, I decided to record podcasts ahead of time. It was much easier when I could just throw the podcast equipment in a car and, you know, pick it up and hook it up and do the whole thing. But as I was packing bags yesterday, today is uh, the day my flight leaves. My flight leaves in like 12 hours. As I was putting everything together, I realized that uh, there's just no there's just no place for this equipment. I mean, there there is, but then I would have to sacrifice a lot of clothing, and this is going to be such an affair you know, traveling, you know, out of the country and going through customs and security, and it's just it's not tenable. Although, how cool would it have been if I could, you know, do a fucking video podcast from Dubai? And a fucking skyscraper that's way, way, way too high in the sky. <laughs> if you ever want to get freaked out, just like YouTube, you know, kids, uh, hoverboards, skyscrapers. And you'll see a bunch of people in fucking Dubai and Abu Dhabi and all these Singapore and all these places that don't have zoning laws on the t- highest buildings of all time. <clears throat> Talk about flat earth. They're so high you can see the curvature of the damn earth, these buildings. People tune into this podcast for insights into urban planning. <laughs> Arguably something I know more about than comic books. Um, But yeah, I'm scared. I'm always scared to travel. <clears throat> you know, I've only traveled a few times in my life. Outside of the United States. In the United States, I'm not scared to travel. I'm mostly disinterested. The U.S., 
has a bunch of great stuff, but I feel like it's so similar. Like the the Venn diagram is very, is like two circles. I guess fifty, let's say fifty states, <laughs> fifty circles that are really heavily concentrated in the middle. Like there's a huge overlap. Like no matter where you go, you're gonna be on a fucking gray highway with yellow lines and white lines and McDonald's and Burger Kings and Taco Bells and KFCs and suburbs on the outskirts of the cities and concentrated cities with a bunch of like brick architecture. It's it, the but it, but then there are like little variations. Like you go to South Carolina, you go down downtown Charleston, you're like, oh, there's some palm trees here. You go to you go to Miami, you're like, oh, there's some palm trees here. Oh, there's a beach. It's just like those incremental changes. I don't get excited when I'm driving on the highway and Royal Farms becomes Sheets <laughs> or Bucky's or whatever the regionally specific like rest stop is. And I don't get excited when I'm in a fucking little brunch eatery and there's a palm tree next to me instead of, you know, just what you would find in Baltimore, which is just concrete or like a brick uh, terrace. It's just the incremental changes don't interest me as much. So traveling through the United States is something that I don't particularly care to do. But traveling to places like Dubai, where the whole shit is is just like radically different, that's more exciting to me. There's uh, like there's like nothing. There, I don't know what to expect, and I think that's part of the reason why it's scary, but also part of the reason why it's exciting. So we're gonna be in Dubai for five days, and then New Delhi, India for an additional six days and the reason we're going to India is because there's a wedding that my girlfriend's cousin is having and so we're doing we're going to that and I have not been paying much attention to the briefings that I've been getting which is totally my fault but the way I understand Indian weddings is there's three discrete sort of uh, events they have names that I can't pronounce and different sort of like uh, traditional, uh, how do you say, how, how do you say, <laughs> um, like ways of operating. So like one of them is like a, a reception thing. Another one's obviously the wedding. And then there's another one that's something different. And because of that fact, we have to, you know, dress accordingly for all three occasions. One of the saving graces, at least for me and my wallet, is that this isn't a very sort of like more orthodox traditional Indian wedding, which means that the clothing, there's going to be a lot of Western clothing, which is something that isn't uniform across uh, different kinds of weddings from my understanding some of them are more like no you have to wear 
you know, culturally appropriate clothing. And others of them are like, well, you know, the, this family has ties to or uh, lives in the Western world and they're having it in India to honor their heritage. But a lot of the people coming are going to be Westerners. So, you know, suits and ties and things like that are appropriate to wear. And that's great because a lot of the, the sort of like traditional clothing, I have one that I have to wear, I believe, for the wedding is really fucking expensive. And that's not a knock. That's just an observation. And I think the reason is when we went to go get my my uh, my girlfriend fitted for some of the more traditional like saris and things like that, everything was intricately hand-stitched. And, you know, that costs money. I mean... There, like the things that she wears, and this is such a foreign concept in, at least in American context, when everything is sort of mass produced. The things that she's wearing exist for only one person in the world, and that's her now that she owns that. Because we go inside of the store, and every piece of clothing is different. Even the clothing that like, seems similar has minor variations in it. And it's all like meticulously hand-stitched, meticulously uh, crafted, designed, imagined. Like it it was astounding the level of detail in, for instance, the sari that she bought. But because of that fact, it is also like incredibly expensive. <laughs> So, uh, and she's also Indian, and so for her, she wanted to wear culturally appropriate clothing, and so she ended up buying a few outfits, which, when rung up, really made my jaw hit the floor. Um, but, you know, it's something that she'll have for the many weddings that are imminent. <laughs> Uh, in her family so good investment for me I was like in the in the store looking at the men's clothing like Jesus this outfit costs legitimately $200 <laughs> and I'd probably I'd probably wear this thing one time it's like a it's like graduation you buy a gown for for advanced degrees you might buy a gown might might cost you a grand and it literally will be the only time you'll ever wear it will be that <laughs> but yeah it's been fun um preparing for the travel beyond the united states i've been to i've been to puerto rico a bunch of times i used to go to puerto rico all the time when i was a kid my dad lived there for a spell and the way that we would do travel to Puerto Rico, and this is weird. This is like a something that's so regular, just a regularly scheduled part of my childhood that I don't realize, you know, just how much time I did spend in Puerto Rico. So uh, my father and my mother got divorced in 2000 when I was 10 years old. And my dad hung around in Maryland where I live for for a little bit and then moved to Puerto Rico like 
four, maybe four-ish years after the divorce. Something like that. No, probably sooner than that. In any case, when he went back, my dad, you know, despite them having a divorce, was a very, very good dad. Um, And would be very like meticulous about getting us on the weekends when he lived in Maryland or the the diff, the new custody sort of arrangement that was that was arrived at between him and my mom when he moved to Puerto Rico which was that he'd get us for the summers and because my dad cared about spending time with us he literally <laughs> and this shit would was very annoying to me when I was a kid but now that I'm older I understand why he did it it was literally like he would ask us when school ended and we all knew why <laughs> because he would schedule the ticket from BWI the very next day and it would be a round trip ticket that would come back and we would come back the day before school started so literally school's over woo Throw the books in the trash. Burn the books. Th- fucking throw them at your friends. Let's fucking party. This summer's going to be great. Nope. In a plane to Puerto Rico. <laughs> and then come back the day before school started. So, I mean, cumulatively, I've spent years in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and that's why for me, it's not really like a like a, like a destination spot. When people are like, you know, brainstorming vacations and like, well, we should go to Puerto Rico. I'm like, fuck that shit. I ain't going to Puerto Rico, motherfucker, to get scared by iguanas and fucking salamanders in my bed and goddamn all kind of weird animal monkeys and fucking eating. That's the other thing is that like, like ethnic cuisines you know people were like let's let's eat indian food or let's have like chinese for those people's cultures that's just food so that's just like saying let's have some food today and so all of the cuisine the fucking fried pork chops and the rellenos and the surullos and all of that shit just became like oh this fucking nonsense again <laughs> It's like what what with fucking white people is like ah oh, fucking mac and cheese again. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's right. But just like any like routinely eaten food that could be considered something like you know a delicacy or something that you look forward to eating after a while it just becomes like oh this fucking nonsense. Ah, oh, we're eating pork again. Now since it's been a while since I've been there and. You know, I, I, I go to Florida to visit my dad maybe once a year. Now the food tastes like something nostalgic again. But for a long time, it was like, oh, I don't want to see another fucking bowl of Sancocho for, for a year. For a year. I'll have it when we go back. White beans and rice? You know how many bowls... Of white beans and rice I've had in my life. A, a million. It's <laughs> not even possible. I'd be so fucking fat. 
so many. I think it's cool. Uh, I think it's cool to hear about. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Matt has some. Uh, his his aunts make him some traditional like Italian food, but I'm not sure. But I was thinking. I always think it's cool when the white folks do like traditional cuisines from their ancestry. Like when, if there's like a, you know, like a Russian family that's totally America, Americanized now, but eats like borscht. <laughs> Does that exist? Email us at wesleycomicbookshow at gmail.com if that exists. I don't know if that exists. How many generations... Oh, this is a good question for me. All right, so if I have kids, will they eat Puerto Rican cuisine? Cuisine, <laughs> generous word. It's cuisine. It is cuisine. Um, you know, they might not. I'm thinking about it right now, and as much as I would like, they'll probably eat it every once in a while. Because the other thing is that, yo, the food is not great for you. There there are some good like vegetarian options and, and 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 vegetarian dishes, but for the most part, there's so much fried food. So much fried food. And so much starchy food. Like like deep fried potatoes. That's what a relleno is. It's really fucking good. Don't get me wrong. Pernil is just like this fucking hunk of pork. My dad makes a really good pernil flan, which is like an egg custard, tres leches, which is like a, it's a, it's a cake. I could never figure out the three kinds of milk they use. Condensed milk, regular milk, evaporated milk. Is that a thing? I'm not sure. But all of the, all of the food that I, it's just so bad for you. It's terrible for you. And people didn't know that. I don't think people knew that. And it's also food of convenience. Because a lot of like, you know, working Working poor people will eat, you know, shit ton of fucking rice. I mean, because it's just so accessible. But it's just not, it's not great for you. So maybe they will. How many generations, how many generations must pass before the cuisine and like the culture is lost? I'm not sure. But I mean, if I do have kids, they'll, they'll be, They'll be Indian and Puerto Rican, and they're absolutely eating Indian food because that shit is delicious and relatively healthy. But will they get my side of the cuisine? Will they get the fucking <laughs> the deep, oh, so much deep fried shit? <laughs> so much deep. Fr let's deep fry this pork chop, son. Let's deep fry this dough, son. Let's deep fry these potatoes, b. Pan sear this steak, fam. Let's fucking pit roast this entire pig. Dude, that shit was good. There's a thing in Puerto Rico called pinchos. Ooh. Man, oh man. Pinchos. Ah, I can't even believe I forgot about this when talking about cuisine. Let me take a sip of coffee before I get into it because I need to be energized. Oh, man, that's cold. So, 
in Puerto Rico, there's there are a lot of vendors who are, you know, who occupy the street, and these vendors, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of uh, if I could equate it to anything, the experience is like maybe like a food truck, where you never know where they're gonna be, if they're gonna be, what they're gonna have what the quality is going to be, but everyone knows they're coming. <laughs> Everybody knows like, okay, the guys that make the pinchos, they're going to set up their grills, you know, on the highway, on the main thoroughfares, at festivals. Festivals probably a, a likelier bet, but I remember we used to go, marauding throughout the streets just like driving places well we'd be driving to the movie theater to see a movie we barely wanted to see we're really looking for those pinchos where the fuck are they some summers we would get a lot other summers we wouldn't get any and what a pincho is is it's basically a kebab but it is a fucking massive kebab that has there's different kinds there's like beef chicken um the 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 most uh, polarizing one would be tiburon, which is shark, and they'll take these hunks of meat, throw them on a grill, just grill it up, put three, four, five chunks, and depending on the vendor, sometimes healthy chunks, sometimes lip, like very conservative chunks, onto the onto a stick, and then just cover it in sauce. And I could eat like fucking 10 of those things feel like shit but eat like 10 of those things they were so good so good i'm gonna make like some homemade pinchos for my kids <laughs> but it was so crazy because you would be like looking for these motherfuckers like there was no there were no apps there's no cell phones I, I, i'd be curious i mean right now the infrastructure of the island is terrible and if you don't know why, uh, you probably don't pay attention to the news. Um, but maybe before that, maybe they automated that somehow because it is so difficult to like find those vendors. And I, it, I imagine it's a fucking terrible job. The other kind of uh, the really famous and sought after vendors were the banana vendors. And these bananas were like miniature bananas, like half half size bananas. And a story that my dad used to tell, which I don't know if it's true or not, was that my my grandmother wanted bananas so bad. Maybe it was not my grandmother. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe I'm making this whole story up. Um, would park in the middle of, or wouldn't, like, she didn't do this routinely. She did this once. Parked in the middle of a fucking busy highway and or an intersection and, like, hailed a banana person to her and <laughs> this person like risked their life <laughs> to give her some bananas and she looked at them and they weren't ripe and then she was like I don't want these bananas <laughs> take this shit away from me <laughs> take this nonsense away from me <laughs> uh, <laughs> another story I don't know if I stole this story on the podcast but this was this is a terrifying one. So when I was a kid, um, my 
my dad or my grandfather, I can't remember who told me this, was, I have a terrible memory, by the way, if you haven't noticed. I have a really bad memory. People will say stuff that happened that I was involved in, like pretty like momentous, like big things, and I'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I get. <laughs> yeah, I guess I killed your dog. I don't know. I guess I ran over your dog. Um, so the story that that we were told when we were kids, we 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 would go to Puerto Rico, um, and for whatever reason, I was I heard the story like once a year, and I can never confirm the details, and I I don't want to look it up because it is kind of a cherished memory in my in my mind now. And I have all these conspiracy theories about it, but I don't want to. I don't want to tarnish. I don't want to tarnish a good story with the truth. I think that is a that is a quote. Uh, so we would go to Puerto Rico, and we would often, you know, play outside because there was there's nothing to do. We we were gamers when we were kids, and we would always, since it was like a three month excursion, we would always take our fucking you know Xbox through security and shit like that and you know it was massive back then the first xbox jesus christ so we would take that and you know we would play it but you you just can't sit at home and play video games all the time although we really 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 would have liked to so there was a cancha which is a basketball court sort of close to close to our house and i used to play there um and we would always be told whenever we would go outside to be wary of monkeys. Monkeys. Um, and evidently, the urban myth, or perhaps it's true, was that off the coast of Puerto Rico existed, or exist many like little islands. And on one of these islands, there was some kind of United States research team, research lab, and they were experimenting cures for sexually transmitted diseases on these monkeys. And so in order to experiment with a cure, the monkeys had to be infected with the disease. And so these monkeys had you know, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, HIV, whatever it was. The the most common one that we would be told was HIV. Um, I guess because that was the scariest one. I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure about the validity of any of this information. This is just how it was conveyed to me. So my dad used to say, you know, if you if you get if you see a monkey, you get bit by a monkey. Don't even. You know, don't even bother coming home. Just walk your ass to the fucking morgue. <laughs> and he would say that as a joke. You know, he would say that as a joke, but it was really scary. Like the idea that, you know, you know, especially as a kid who's just becoming sexually active and stuff, that shit is terrifying. So, you know, that you I would I would be told this and it would be ingrained in me. And I never saw a fucking monkey in my life. Never saw a monkey in Puerto Rico. And so when I was like 15, 16, you know, and I'd been going there at this point for for a long time, and I sort of knew the lay of the land. I was like, fucking monkey shit. But it was always in the back of my mind. 
It's playing basketball, you know, and <laughs> this fucking court was, it was so, it was so treacherous, this court, because there was so much random livestock everywhere. Just fucking, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it could be terrifying. Like this is the kind of stuff that you don't have to deal with, you know, at your, at your, you know, middle school playground. So, you know, you'd be shooting and the rims were always fucked up and they were cage rims instead of like nylon rims. And so the ball would always get caught and make this terrible, like uh, crank crackly noise. And, you know, there was also like, uh, it wasn't it wasn't well paved and stuff so the ball would like roll all over the place off the court and directly off the court which was like some kind of concrete some like soft concrete cracked cracked as fuck there was just like grass and there were some houses surrounding um and they all had livestock they all had animals and there's also just like sort of loose animals and so there would be like fucking like a hen and her chicks and if the ball rolled anywhere near that hen she would she was gonna get fucking livid and just you know if you went to get it and you got near any of her chicks she would just peck the shit out of you so you would just wait you would just have to wait until the fucking hen decided to leave um there was also like a fucking cow that made ungodly noises just like the the kinds of noises surrounding that basketball court were noises that I've I've never heard again. I haven't heard since. There was also a horse. Horse was fine. Um and so we're pretty used to to the animals. So I'm playing there with some neighborhood kids and they all everyone knows about the fucking monkeys. Everyone knows the monkey myth. <laughs> and so we're playing and the ball because the fuck court's all fucked up rolls after you know somebody bricks a bricks a a three-pointer or something like that. And it rolls off to the side. And we, we all turn to look. And standing next to the ball, there is a legitimate, real-life, actual mammalian monkey. <laughs> and we all look at the monkey, and we look at each other, and we don't move. Because in our minds... That monkey has HIV. <laughs> and we're just terrified. And it was probably in real time, maybe like two seconds. And then the monkey's more scared of us than we are of him. We're gigantic. It was a small. I don't I don't know anything about animals, but it was a small monkey. So in but it like in real time it was probably two seconds at most like uh, it caught a glance of us and then just fucking ran away but in my mind it was an eternity where i was just like uh, if this monkey bites me i just have to walk to the morgue <laughs> cuz i'm toast <laughs> so that's the monkey story <laughs> uh and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, discourages people from traveling. But let me just tell you this. Puerto Rico's great. It's a real fun spot. You should go there. <clears throat> Help support in a, a recovering economy because, you know, we need it. Let's talk about comic books. So, <clears throat> today, we're doing two comic books. Daredevil number 598 by Charles Sewell and Ron Garney. 
and Batman number 40 by Tom King and Joel Jones. Now, I was going to originally do it in that order, but because Batman number 40 is sort of short and nothing's really happening. By the way, the Tom King Batman run, I, I really, I do enjoy it. However, the the stories seem to be getting shorter and shorter for me. I don't understand why. Like, legitimately, they seem to be getting shorter and shorter in terms of, like, what's happening. And it also seems like the direction it's taking is this very meandering direction. Like, I'm not sure what the fuck is going on here. Because if you remember back and you look at this run in its entirety, there was a there was a huge, you know, opening series run where it was uh, Gotham and Gotham Girl and Psycho Pirate and his, his connection to Bane. And then there was a battle with Bane. Um, Hugo Strange also threw some weird zombie monsters at Batman at some point. And, you know, it, 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 it developed in this way that was really, like, everything was sort of intricately woven and connected. And then somewhere along the way, after the War of Jokes and Riddles, where the relationship with Selina Kyle was developing, uh, things started to sort of lose their their tethering to like the, these like central concerns, um, which was you know Batman's guilt uh, at having you know gotten Gotham Girl's brother killed. And also her own derangement and his long-standing sort of uh, rivalry with Bane, his relationship to the Robins. It's just like the comic book feels like it's trying to find another anchor point because that anchor point had seemingly has been resolved. Um, and I'm not sure if it's found that yet. Ideally, it would be Selena Kyle, but Selena Kyle is not really figuring into these stories that much. And they're also, you know, seem to be more episodic installments in the run rather than the 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 development of a big event. When the War of Jokes and Riddles was happening was amazing because like that was, you know, like what you would expect is we go from run to run to run. That's what in up in sort of direct opposition to this, you have uh, Daredevil. Daredevil is you know ongoing for about three years now. It started in 2015, and it goes from run to run to run to run to run in these like sort of discrete four to five to six issue arcs, and that's like you know that's not uncommon. That's how comic books go. But I feel like maybe it's the two-week production schedule that DC has that is uh, sort of allowing Tom King to experiment with these more sort of episodic, um, you know, character-driven stories that don't really have antagonists. There's They're more sort of meditations. And for me, a few of those are good, but it seems to be like it's just, you know like like character experiments in the relationship between Batman and Selina Kyle and it's just I don't know it's not as it's not as engaging as the other stuff where it's like you know event you know conflict antagonists protagonists 
let's do this sides uh mechanisms terms of battle you know like where things are clearly spelled out and sort of contained this is more like all right let's do a let's do an incredibly crazy exaggerated uh event that could mirror a minute relationship um hindrance so let's do this whole the gentleman fighting off hordes and hordes of of monsters that then batman and wonder woman have to uh fight and that tests the relationship and the faithfulness of you know selena kyle and and bruce wayne i don't know um so Batman number 40 by Tom King and Joel Jones. Super Friends Part 4. So this is the fourth installment in Super Friends. And if there is sort of a connective tissue between the stories that Tom King is telling right now, it is that Batman is engaged to Selina Kyle and he's telling all of his friends. Right? And so Super Friends Part 1 and 2, that was Lois Lane and Clark Kent. Superman or Super Friends Part 3 and 4, focus on Wonder Woman. I I am not interested in this really continuing to the rest of the Justice League. Like, I don't give a fuck what Barry Allen thinks about this relationship. I don't give a fuck what uh, The Flash thinks. I don't give a fuck what Green Lantern thinks. I don't give a fuck what Aquaman thinks. Um, But that is unlikely to happen because Batman doesn't really have a relationship with those it makes sense that he would have to reckon with Superman slash Clark Kent and with Princess Diana. That makes sense. Um, anything beyond this, any extension of the Super Friends story arc, I think might be a little redundant. It might be jumping the shark. But who knows? You won't you won't know until you see it. So Super Friends Part 4 opens and Selena Kyle is pissed. She is fucking pissed at the gentleman uh, for not telling anyone about the weird time compression that takes place in the Gehenna realm. Um, so if you don't remember, the basically the gentleman is a guy who is locked in the Gehenna realm. And it is a realm that has the ability to bleed into Earth. And as such, a guardian needs to um, perpetually and for eternity drive away the hordes of demons that occupy this realm and the hordes of demons their number corresponds to the amount of sins that men commit on earth so that's an endless endless horde of these demons and monsters and so the gentleman has taken it upon himself in a very crazy fashion to be the guardian that keeps that realm away from our realm at some point, Wonder Woman and Batman ran into this guy and said, "If you ever need a break, you know, hit us up. We'll, 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 we'll do it." And he was like, "Bet," but he didn't tell them <laughs> that time moves at a much slower pace in the Gehenna realm. And so, as he swaps places with them and is gone for a couple hours. In the realm, Batman and Wonder Woman feel as though decades have passed, which is insane. And so Selina Kyle is pissed when she finds this out and tries to force him into bringing back Batman and Wonder Woman. 
Um, but it doesn't really work because she has no leverage in the situation. If she kills him, then they'll never come back. Also, he has been fighting and training like Goku in the hyperbolic time chamber forever. He would kill the shit out of Selena Kyle. He might kill the shit out of Batman. <laughs> he might be one of the most powerful and most skilled and tactful uh combatants in the entire universe um but no one ever knows it because he's trapped away in this realm and he's never allowed to be a part of uh you know uh like contemporary continuity affairs and shit like that which is interesting and i believe this is a new sort of tom king creation the gentleman and so maybe he'll show up in, in crossover events and shit like that and it would be great if you really need an ace in a hole of somebody who can really fuck some shit up go to this realm get get you know tag him out and then he can just come fuck shit up um so he has she has no leverage and but he's a good guy and so he's like i'm getting to it i just need to see my wife uh because he is originally from earth and he has a wife on earth and he's been gone for thousands and thousands of years but in earth time that's only about a year so as that's happening, as Selena Kyle's like, okay, well, to take you to see your fucking wife. In the Gehenna realm, Batman and Wonder Woman come close to making out. And this was the cliffhanger of Super Friends Part 3. Uh, they're, like, inching closer and closer and closer and closer to one another. And this is after, like, 20 years or some shit. Where they're like, we're never getting out of this hellhole. Um, but they withhold. Out of you know, respect for their partners, you know, Steve Trevor and Selena Kyle. They keep fighting the hordes, but start losing their goddamn minds. They just start going totally batshit fucking crazy uh, in, 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 a, in a couple of hilarious sort of like small moments that they share together, which, you know, that's Tom King's gift. So on Earth, the gentleman finds his estranged wife, Angela, they talk for an hour, which is like a decade in the realm that Batman and Wonder Woman are trapped in. And after that, he's like, all right, I'm ready to go back. He goes back. Batman and Wonder Woman are brought back into the human realm. Bat and Cat are reunited. Their bond is stronger than ever after, you know, having to withstand this, you know, hour or so detachment for Selena Kyle, but decades-long attachment for Bruce Wayne. He manages to stay faithful, although he is tempted. Um, and that's how it ends. And so that's sort of like, oh, we learned from this whole thing is what I'm talking about when I, when I say, like, these are more like character studies, but they don't seem to be fitting into an overall, like, narrative arc. There's no, there's no conflict. It's all like, it's all contrived relationship rom-com stuff, which is, you know, not what we, what we come to Batman for. Damn it. Um, Daredevil number 598 by Charles Will and Ron Garney. So this is, God, this shit is getting pretty good. Um, Cliff notes what you need to know. Kingpin, he's now the mayor of New York City. Matt Murdock is a deputy mayor of New York City. Uh, Kingpin brought him into his administration because he is a very, very popular prosecutor. He argued and won a Supreme Court case that allowed costume vigilantes to testify and to have their testimony admitted 
um, into court records without having to reveal their secret identity. This would allow them to have a more lasting impact on criminals because rather than, you know, the criminals getting off because there's nobody to corroborate any of the evidence, now superheroes can be like, fuck, we were there, we have it, we testify, and these criminals could actually do some, like, hard time, which is very scary to Kingpin, which is why he ran for mayor in the first place. Um, Muse, Vincent Van Gore, worst name of all time, worst name of all time. Love Charles Sewell. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Vincent Van Gore is dumb. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so Muse is is back right now, and he is vandalizing New York City. He's putting up murals of various superheroes, and this is how this comic book starts. Uh, newscaster is conveying the recent vandalisms perpetrated by Muse. Again, Vincent Van Gogh, terrible name, terrible name. We must never forget, never forget Vincent Van Gogh. And so Muse is taken to tagging important buildings around New York City with murals of costumed heroes and inspirational quotes that portray the heroes in a sympathetic way. And so, for instance, this is Spider-Man. This mural says, spiders are people too. Um, Luke Cage's mural says, don't be afraid of me. Daredevil's mural says, I am not a crook. And this is, as ridiculous as it sounds, having a an impact on people. Um, people are imagining superheroes in a sympathetic light, which is exactly what Kingpin does not want. Because Kingpin is trying to undo um, what Matt Murdock did with the testimony of superheroes. He's trying to discredit them in the public imagination and these muse murals and the attention that's being brought onto them is really uh, putting a thorn in the side of Kingpin's political agenda, which we're not sure yet what that is. So he's worried that New Yorkers will buy Muse's alternative viewpoints and have sympathy for the heroes he's trying to wage war against. And so he orders the NYPD to redirect all their resources at capturing Muse, which is a very bad idea because Muse is a stone-cold killer. Cool villain, Vincent Van Gogh, dumb name. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock. Um, Matt Murdock is hamstrung in the deputy mayor's office, basically, Kingpin is having an aide read him every single ordinance and law in in that is documented in New York history. And this is a way to keep him on staff but make him totally useless. But Matt Murdock is not really paying attention to the guy who's reading him all of this shit. Rather, what he's doing is redirecting his heightened senses to Kingpin um, and his discussions that he's having with his aide as a way to collect intel. Um, he figures he can do it better in the mayor's office than he can in the DA's office, and he is right. So he's languishing, listening to this dude as he's reading him, like, affordable housing ordinances and, and zoning codes and fucking uh, liquor licensing shit. But as that's happening, um, he's also eavesdropping on Kingpin's conversation with his aide, Wesley. And one of the things they bring up, which they brought up in the last issues, and we still don't know what it is, is the Sarnos Project. Again, they're super vague about the details. Kim, Kingpin says 
that it will change sort of the old way of doing things for whom we don't know quite yet. Um, he also indicates that it's sort of an un unpopular idea and that they're going to have to sell it to whoever's involved, which is where Wesley comes in. He's a good salesperson, according to his own bragging. So uh, that's all we know about the Sarno's project. Um, but Matt Murdock now knows, you know, uh, that Wesley is going to be uh, interacting with some people who are trying to sell it to them. So as Matt Murdock, he like runs into him in the hallway, puts a bug in his coat, and we're off to the races. From there, we cut to um, Matt Murdock confronting Kingpin about his decision to send the police after Muse. Um and instead suggests that he allow Matt Murdock to contact some of the capes in town uh, for, so they can take him down instead. Kingpin's like, fuck no, can't do that. Absolutely not. Which, you know, this is a this is definite foreshadowing that something potentially bad is going to happen to the NYPD because uh, they're fucking with the wrong people. Anyways, from there we cut to the New York City streets. Daredevil is following Wesley Kingpin's aid using the bug that he put in his coat. Um, and he follows him to different locations around New York City. And he overhears a series of meetings where Wesley is basically offering bureaucratic positions or positions that can be appointed by the mayor to supervillains. So he... Hammerhead expresses a little interest in the corrections department, Black Cat in the Department of Education, Owl in the Department of Aging, which apparently is a department in New York City, and Diamondback wants to be the police commissioner of New York City, which is fucking insane. But these are all uh, appointed positions, and so it could happen. So all of these people are basically being vetted for these positions by Kingpin, by Wesley, but they won't be confirmed until they meet in Sarnos, which is a place up in the Bronx, hence the title of the project. And so here we get the revelation of what this project is. Kingpin himself is trying to do things above board, and that's why he ran for the mayoralty of New York City. Now that he's the mayor, he has a bunch of positions of power that really dictate the way that the city operates, and he's going to put his cohorts in crime in those positions of power and so they will be able to wreak havoc on the city legally well or at least in a you know official capacity that's going to have even more lasting and damning results which this is a very 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 interesting comment on you know like urban politics local politics and the way that uh you know, our quote-unquote democratic institutions are run. It's really smart. Charles Sewell is very smart. So that's the Sarno's project. After that is all revealed, we cut to a street corner, and Muse is in the middle of tagging a wall with the mural of the Punisher. Two girls approach and ask him for a selfie, because at this point he's sort of a folk hero. He's like a Banksy. Um, as this is happening, the cops converge on his position, and he just brutally murders a bunch of police officers in cold blood. 
tears their fucking heads off, decapitates them. There's fucking blood everywhere. And this is what, you know, Matt Murdock was scared of. So Kingpin shows up to the scene of the crime. And while he's unhappy that this happened, that people weren't able, that the cops weren't able to obtain Muse, he is very happy that now he has a tragedy that he can draw on to incite people against Muse, which may have been his plan all along. Um, but you know, that probably was his plan all along. I was about to say he's not that nefarious, but he is absolutely that nefarious. It's fucking Kingpin, bro. It's fucking Kingpin, bro. Um, that's it. Fucking did it. We fucking did it. If you would like to connect to the Wednesday Comic Book Show on social media, please follow us on Twitter at Weekly Comic Show. Follow us on Instagram at Wednesday Comic Book Show. Uh, check out the website every Wednesday and Friday for updates. WednesdayComicBookShow.com. Email WednesdayComicBookShow at gmail.com. Send us suggestions. Send us uh, critiques. Send us questions that you'd like us to address on the podcast about any and everything. It could be about fucking comic books. It could be about sci-fi movies it could be about conspiracy theories we'll answer everything everything um also if you're a creator owner and you'd like us to talk about your comic book on the show you can reach out send us a copy we'll read and talk about sorry we'll read and talk about it as a matter of fact we have one coming up this friday a comic book by a guy named mike speakman uh i think australian based uh writer uh who wrote a book called space cops um the podcast that's dropping in two days will talk about that. It'll also talk about uh, our aborted screenplay for Space Cop The Awakening, which is a total weird coincidence that uh, we reviewed this thing called Space Cop and we had written this thing called Space Cop like fucking three years ago. It's wild. Uh, but yeah, definitely check that out. Hashtag Friday tie-in on Twitter if you have any questions and you prefer to engage that way. And also sub to the YouTube channel. Again, I'm in India, so I, I'm not really live streaming. Don't have the equipment to do that, but uh, going to be live streaming when I get back. Some UFC 3, um, maybe some other games, maybe some PUBG, maybe some H1Z1. I don't fucking know. We'll see what people like. That'll do it for this episode, this issue of the Wednesday Comic Book Show. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. You ever seen a nerd speak in thin air? You ever seen such comic book flair? You ever seen two, three, four, five nerds fight and argue over made up words? Superman, Batman, and the Green Martian approach these worlds with Supreme Court shed. Listen to us as we rant and rave. Flip and follow on to the next page. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.